Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Hey there, everybody. Pastor Matt here from Roots Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I want to welcome you to this week's message. Over the last month or so, we've been in a particular series that I've been calling the Wisdom Series because it's based entirely out of the book of Proverbs. Now, if you've missed any of those, you can go back on the podcast or even on YouTube and catch the the replays and then catch up to where we're at. But uh, just as a quick overview of the things that we've covered is that we've covered the first nine chapters of the book. And in these nine chapters, Solomon is laying the foundation and the idea and the description of what wisdom really is. During these first nine books, there's several talks that are described between a father and his young son. And this father has lived through some things. He has some experience, some so some things that he's been taught, and some things that he's lived through, some scars that he's survived from wounds in his life. And he's turning to his young son and saying, let me pass this knowledge, this wisdom onto you. And this is how uh, uh, the, the book is really set up, from someone who is older passing on information to one who is younger and needs the wisdom. During these talks, the father describes two different women. One of them is Lady Wisdom. She is elegant. She is beautiful. She is calling out in an appropriate fashion to everyone that they can come to her. They can learn from her. She will impart what she has. She will give her knowledge and understanding and insight uh, as a gift to anyone who kind of comes to her. And then he describes this other woman, which is the immoral woman. And she is brash and rude and loud. And um, she uh, leads down to a path of evil and to wickedness. <clears throat> and he talks about drawing closer to Lady Wisdom and rejecting the immoral woman, but that many people get these things flipped. And as they pursue the immoral woman and they pursue their own selfish desires, that Lady Wisdom in her elegance and grace begins to back away and say, okay, if you don't want to participate with me, then I'll leave you to the consequences of your own selfish, ignorant, and immoral desires. He is, as a father, trying to get his son to avoid the immoral woman and follow his guiding and his leading forward as they pursue wisdom. <clears throat> now, uh, that brings us to chapter 10. Dur at chapter 10 through about chapter 29, Solomon begins to give his proverbs or these sayings on a bevy of different subjects. And we don't have time to get through all of them. That's, uh, you know, I, I want to encourage you to make Proverbs a consistent part of your daily reading. Um, you can read a chapter a day. That's kind of how it's, you know, laid out. There's 31 chapters and there's, you know, 30 or 31 days in a month. And so people typically will read pro a proverb a day and they'll think, oh, today's you know, September 1st, so I'll read Proverb 1. Today is September 2nd, I'll read the Proverbs number 2, and so on. <clears throat> it's a kind of a good rule of thumb you can use to go forward of how to incorporate reading Proverbs into your day. But from chapters 10 to chapter 29, Solomon is addressing a lot of subjects. We're only going to pick three of them to go through today. But just before we dive into those, I want to remind us what a proverb is. And it's going to be very important because we're going to drill down on this, okay? 
a proverb, and that word proverb in the original language is mashal. It is a saying that has substance or a point. This, one's, this next one is very important, so listen to this one specifically. Sayings that reveal a general truth. A parable, sentences of ethical wisdom, ethical sayings, or a truism. I want to draw your attention to two parts of that definition. That proverbs reveal general truth and are truisms. Now, um, I'm going to teach you something here today that was definitely not communicated to me as a young person who was growing up in church. <clears throat> um, and it may rub some of you the wrong way, but I want to I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. Um, Proverbs is part of the Bible, so it is God's Word, right? But it is presented to us as a general truth. Proverbs are not promises or prophecies. I'm going to say that again. Proverbs are not promises or prophecies. Now, what do I mean by that? These statements that are presented here are not guaranteed to be true in every single circumstances. Um, there are some circumstances, like exceptions to a general rule, that will apply to some of these uh, some of these proverbs that we're going to read. Now, let me give you an example um, of what I'm talking about. Proverbs ten twenty seven says, "The fear of the Lord lengthens one's life." but the years of the wicked are cut short. Now, if you just stop for a second, all of us have uh, know someone, either directly or indirectly, or have heard about someone who is a Christian brother, Christian sister, someone who is a strong person of the faith. They are someone who fears the Lord. And when we talk about that fear, it's a respect, honor, and reveres Almighty God. We all know people who have done this and passed away at an early age. I'm thinking of, you know, um, uh, Nabil. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's a Christian apologist that um, he passed away, I, be I believe he's in his, his mid to late 30s, super early in life. Um, and he was someone who came out of the Muslim religion and moved into the truth of Christianity. Um, he passed away early. And so we can look at someone like this or someone who is, you know, younger in life who, you know, I, I was actually reminded this week of a, of a young man in his, I think his early to mid-20s. We were many years ago headed out to a, uh, a wedding in Texas, and he was meeting us there, and he was tragically killed in a car accident on the way to be in and participate in this wedding that we were going to do with um, some people we knew from our ministry. If you look at this passage, the fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. You could look at this and think, well, it wasn't true in the Beale's case. It wasn't true in this young man's case who was a truly God-honoring person who died tragically in a car wreck super early in life. How does that gel together? This statement in Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, um, 
is a general statement of if you're going to live in the way of wisdom and the way of understanding, the way of acknowledging God, living his values, his standards, his precepts, in a general sense, it means that you're staying away from these wicked pursuits and these things that end in disease and death and you know, and drunkenness and things like this, in a general sense, if you're going to live the way that God lives or that says to live, and you're going to take his wisdom, you're going to pursue lady wisdom as we talked about in the first, you know, in, in the first part of this series, then it's going to extend your life because you are participating in things that are life-giving. They're not life-altering or leading to destruction. Um, we all know believers who have, you know, gone on to heaven earlier than we think that they probably should have, you know, on a normal time frame. So does this mean that this passage is not true? Absolutely not. That's what I'm talking about in a general sense. This general idea of if you're going to follow the ways of the Lord, it's going to extend your life because you're going to avoid all these toxic behaviors. But there are exceptions in accidents, in tragic scenarios, in, in diseases and things that are um, you know, hereditary or, or from you know, an environmental scenario where this person may pass away earlier than we would think a normal lifespan should be. So when we talk about these Proverbs, we need to realize that they are generally true. It's a general knowledge of being true, but there are exceptions, and those exceptions can be too many. Um, let me give you another example of this. Is what about someone who got saved later in life? Let's say that they... You know, they didn't get saved until they were sometimes in, you know, in their 40s or 50s, but they contracted a disease before coming to Christ. If they die in their 50s, which on our life expectancy here, you know, in our country and our time at the moment would be earlier than an expected, um, uh, expected time of living for a person like that in their 50s, then does that mean that the scripture didn't apply? No, there is an exception here. There was a disease. There was something they contracted while living in sin. And getting saved doesn't automatically mean the oh, that it's going to extend their life and that it's going to, you know, they're going to live well beyond the point that they should have because that's what the proverb says. That doesn't mean that the scripture is wrong. This is an exception to a general truth. It means that generally speaking, living a life that honors God leads to a longer life because that person is not engaging in immoral and self-defeating lifestyles. The person who is constantly participating in a life of immoral activity and wickedness will have a greater chance of reaping physical consequences resulting in a shorter life. Let me give you one more scripture in Proverbs that will kind of that I'm going to use to kind of um, show you this point in action. Proverbs 29, 16. When the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes, but the godly will live to see their downfall. Now, if there's a godly person who sees a wicked ruler and then passes away before the ruler has you know has has fallen or they're seen their downfall or their kingdom has been stripped away from them 
Does it mean this passage isn't true? Because it says the godly will live to see their downfall. No, this is a general statement, not about every specific godly person who lived is going to see that person's downfall. It just means that the, the, the principle of honoring God will outlive this principle that is being sowed of wickedness by this person who is in leadership. Many kings of Israel were wicked. Did every single godly person outlive the wicked king to see them come to their downfall? No. But in a general sense, God's purposes will prevail. So what the scripture is saying that in general, people who have faith in God will see the eventual remove removal of the wicked from powerful positions, either because they're replaced or their kingdom is conquered. I'm hoping that makes sense to you so you can get an appropriate view of what these Proverbs really are. Are they true? Absolutely. Do they apply in every single nuanced situation and exception of life? And can you find a way that, you know, well, you know, this child was born and only lived to be 10 and it was tragic, but they had, you know, a faith in God when they were little. Um, Does that mean the scripture is not true? Absolutely not. There are exceptions, but these Proverbs are dealing with general truths. And we will see that in general, these statements will prove out to be untrue in many, if not most, circumstances, but there will be exceptions based on the specific individual um, the details and circumstances of someone's life, okay? <clears throat> um, so now, with that in our mind, let's look at three things that Solomon addresses, three areas Solomon addresses in these next several chapters that I think are really important for us to remember. Number one is words, the words that we say. I'm going to throw a bunch of passages out at you um, over the course of this message, so hang on, but I'm going to deal with one in particular from a couple of different translations when we're talking about words. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, most people who've been in uh, church or have been a Christian for you know even a short amount of time have heard this this passage and this particular proverb used, and it's important that we don't take the proverb out of its context from 3,000 years ago and try to force it or blend it into what we are hearing talked about a lot today. There is a a different translation of this verse that um, I think will help us in our understanding of it, okay? Proverbs 18.21, I read it earlier in the ESV, now let me read it to you in the NLT. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Now, a lot of people look at this verse and interpret it through this modern, kind of little bit new agey type of lens, um, and they think, I have the power with my mouth to, quote unquote, speak things into existence. You do not have that power as a, as a human being. You cannot speak something into existence. God does that. He's our Father. His Spirit resides in us, empowering us to live for Him in ways that we would not be able to 
to, to do on our own. His power is manifested through our actions as we obey him, as we yield to him, as we follow his leading. And, and he gives us the ability to do many things that we weren't able to do. But creating things from nothing with our words is not one of them. Many people have um, spoken healing over someone. Many people who, who kind of believe in this idea, they speak wealth or they speak favor or they speak opportunity or they speak open doors or they speak the, you know, the power of bondage breaking and they think because they speak it, like they say the words, that it's going to happen based on this passage of life and death or in the power of tongues. So they want to, quote unquote, speak life. This passage is not telling people that they have the ability to almost like a, you know, a magic saying or something to say, well, I, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, as a, you know, an adopted son or daughter of God, I now have the power to speak life into a situation. I have now, I can speak life into a dying person. I can speak life into a dying business. Um, but that's not what this is saying. And I know that's the case because of what we're going to read here, but also because of the outcome. How many people have spoken life over someone who is sick and they didn't get better? How many people have spoken life into a business that was dying and the business still went bankrupt? How many people have spoken something into existence, but yet the thing they spoke never happened? That the, the list of those people would be many, and the list of those things would be many. Not only that, but the scriptural evidence tells us what he's talking about here, okay? Um, Proverbs 18, 17 through 21. So we read verse 21. Let's back up and read from verse 17 going forward and see if this is a tool we can use to read this entire passage instead of just one verse to give us a context of what Solomon is telling us here. Verse 17, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. Flipping a coin can end arguments. It settles disputes between powerful opponents. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I'm hoping that through reading those first few verses ahead of it and reading that passage in its proper context, it will start to paint the picture that you don't, it's not saying that you have the power to just speak something out and it's going to come into existence. That's not what this passage is saying. There is, um, there's no place in scripture where people did this. The apostles didn't do it. The uh, Jesus followers didn't do it. Not the deacons, not the elders, not the church, not the church leaders, not the congregation. Nobody, we cannot find people who are in the Bible, quote unquote, speaking life over or into a situation. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
if we're going to quote unquote speak something with true power, it should be the name of Jesus and the prayers that are filled with faith in him and with um, with Almighty God, and we're going to the life giver asking him to step in through our prayers, through our faith, through our belief, and then asking him to give life to something that he wants to live. This, vo- this particular passage in this verse is actually pointing to conflict in relationships, arguments, offended friends, And it's telling us to speak kindly to others because we can irritate people or we can um, help calm people with our words. We can um, make a situation worse or we can make a situation better depending how we use our words. We can make the, the offended person more angry or we can bring some resolution to it depending on the words that we choose to use. See, Proverbs is the wisdom book. What Solomon is giving us is insight on how to deal relationally with other people and how our words impact those relationships. He can take, or he, even in Proverbs 15, 1 through 2, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. These Proverbs are giving us wise insight on how we use our words. <clears throat> so what's the point, Matt, of telling me that my words don't have any power or my words don't have the power to, to create, you know, that your words create your world? That's not true. I know many people who have spoken all this thing, these things over their life and none of it appeared. None of it has come, in, come true and they have waited years and some of them have passed on speaking these things and never saw it come to fruition because that's not what this passage is saying. This passage has given us relational advice on what to do with our words. So why explain this in this much detail to you today? There's some people who think that this is how this process works. They think that this life and death being in the power of the tongue means they can speak something. And then when they do speak it and it doesn't happen, they begin to question, am I good enough? Am I saved? Maybe this just doesn't work for me. Maybe this Christianity thing is not really for me. I mean, it works for my friend, I guess, um, but um, it doesn't work for me. Um, this person has, quote unquote, spoken over something and it looks like they, it kind of came to pass because they spoke life into their job and they got a new job. And I've been out here speaking life into my job and I don't have one. And it can cause doubt and confusion um, and a lack of understanding to the point where people can walk away from their faith and think, well, that just doesn't work for me. I need to go find something else that works for me. And they find these, you know, feely, emotionally based things that will capture them and lead them down a road that will end in destruction. 
It's very important that we understand this correctly, but it's also under, uh, very important that we apply the things that we've been given and use this wisdom in the relationships that we have and in the words that we're using. Solomon is telling us, your words are important, not because they're going to be shaped to manifest your new reality, no, but you can be someone who encourages, who brings life through your words to someone who is down, who's depressed, who is frustrated, who is offended. You can speak to them in a way that will bring the hope of the gospel, be the hope of Christ to them, even if they're in a trying scenario. And in the same way, things can go the other, the opposite direction. You can use your words to cause harm to people and make them further sink into the pit of despair. <clears throat> the second thing Solomon talks about is the thing that, you know, people are going to also, there's a lot here in this message so far that can might, might make people kind of tense up really quick, but the second thing is he, he deals with is money. And he talks about how do we get it now? This a lot. This might make some believers in Christ uncomfortable who are thinking, you know, I just gotta, you know, deal with whatever I have and this poverty mindset and things like that. You know, as much as I speak against the prosperity gospel, I also want to speak against the poverty gospel. It's not um, uh, you don't have to choose one or the other. We have to go back to God's word and find out what it says. And here's what Solomon says about money and how to get it. Proverbs 10, 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12, 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 14.23, work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. These are just four verses that he's telling, this is a father telling his son. He is someone who is wise, passing this information on to us. He's saying, how do you accumulate wealth? Do you pray it down from heaven? Do you speak wealth into existence? Do you manifest your blessing by, you know, speaking it out into the atmosphere? No. Solomon says that the key to wealth, we just read those four verses, is diligent, consistent, hard work. I'm not saying that you can't pray for something in a, in a time of need. I, I, I was in this last year. I desperately needed a job. I was laid off in, uh, from corporate America and did not dream that it would take me several months to, to make it through. And I went back to God and I was you know, faithfully applying for dozens and dozens of positions and interviewing. And it just took a long time to get back into a, a work role for myself. But during those times, I'm praying, God, I need a job, but I also need money to pay the bills this month because I've already blown through my emergency fund after a couple of months. And what did God do? He was faithful to use people and sometimes group of people, uh, groups of people to know where we were at and help us in those moments through their generosity. The church showed up as the church and helped me during my time of need, which is very biblical thing to do for one another. In those time of needs, I'm not saying you can't pray for money. Absolutely, you need it. 
If your car broke down, you're not sure what you're going to do and there's not enough money to buy another one. God, I need you to move on my behalf so I can get this car so I can get to work because I want to continue going. There's nothing wrong with praying for that stuff, but not working, sitting back and just trying to speak wealth into existence and, 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 uh, you know, just trying to, you know, fast and pray your way to a million dollars is not going to work. Diligent, consistent, hard work is what Solomon just lined out. He's talking that it's a long-term process. People can talk a good game. They can have a whole bunch of ideas. You know what we should do? We should start this business. We should do this business. Man, it'll be good. Man, we do this and this and this and this. People talk a really big game, but doing the work is what Solomon just identified. Being consistent and stable and diligent in your effort is the thing that will produce wealth. That's how you get money. Hard work, being smart, budgeting, investing, consistently preserving what you've got. But then... After he says how to get money, he also warns us about some things with money. Let's look at those real quick. Proverbs eleven twenty six. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on one who is willing to sell. Proverbs twenty two sixteen. A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Proverbs twenty two seven. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 is the last one in this particular area. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. And these passages that we just read from, you know, from five or six different sources or chapters during Pro- in Proverbs, what is he saying? What are the warnings he's giving us about money? Greedy people will come to ruin. Don't be greedy. Don't hoard it. Don't be stingy. Don't be willing to give or or, or give a, a fair deal to someone who is in need. Next, don't exploit the poor for financial gain. We see this a lot in our nation. You know, people who are, are trying to prey on poor people who don't have money or in a terrible financial situation, and they try to make money off of them because they're in that particular scenario. Avoid debt if at all possible. He talks about the borrower being slave to the lender. Pay careful attention to your money and investments. Take the little bit you have and continue to save it. Continue to invest properly and it's going to grow. And then he ends it by, you know, almost like a mic drop moment for on the money subjects that money can't be the main focus. Don't be spending all your time, all your effort, all your um, ability, all your creativity and trying to find ways to make more money. That's not going to end well because wealth can disappear just like that. It can sprout wings and fly away like an eagle were his words. So those are the warnings. So he gives insight on how to accumulate wealth. 
he gives a warning about a warning, several warnings to us as as people who are pursuing God and pursuing wisdom about the pitfalls of money. And then he also says what the wise do with their money. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Proverbs 22, 9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 27, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Proverbs 14, 21, it is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. See, what he's saying that wise people do with their money is they understand that money is a tool to do good, to take care of their family and their needs, but also from that abundance, we should be generous people who are willing to help. Wise people are generous with their finances, their their money. This would normally be the, the spot where, you know, if, if I were a, a good traditional, you know, preacher, I would right here be like, find a way to give to the church, <laughs> you know, and, um, but I, I, I was raised that, you know, that was the place to give and the only place that God rewarded. But this doesn't say just to give to the church. You should give to your church. You should give to, to support the work of the ministry that you're a part of and serving in locally and where you're being fed. But this is, continually talking about helping those people in need, helping the poor, sharing their food, give freely, the generous prosper, blessed are those who help those in need and those who are poor. It is constant outflow. That is the the point of all of this accumulation of wealth. Once you have more than you need and you've moved from just, you know, paycheck to paycheck into a time of abundance, you start investing that in other people and that generous heart you have to find ways, even when you have a little to bless others, is going to pay off in the long run. So look at the vast depth of wisdom that Solomon's given us here. He's telling us how to get money. He's telling us the, the pitfalls and beware of it. And once we have it and we've navigated these pitfalls, here's what we should be doing with it. It is a very well-rounded approach. The last thing that I want to talk about, a subject that he addresses, I think is probably the, the most important of these, and that's peace. Peace. Proverbs 12, 20. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. Joy fills hearts that are planning peace. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Proverbs 20, verse 3, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Proverbs 22.10, throw out the mocker and fighting goes to quarrels and insults will disappear. I chose these verses because he talks about quarreling. He talks about 
temper. He talks about um, people who are hot-tempered. He talks about fighting. He talks about um, mocking and this mockery. He talks about all these things because in this scenario, there is this tension. There is this lack of peace that's portrayed and implied in these passages. Those who love to fight and argue have no peace, and those who love and fight to argue typically will create more arguments and create chaos. I know, and I've heard many stories of people over the years throughout my couple of decades in ministry of people who have done very well for themselves financially. They have made a ton of money and they cannot sleep at night. They worry about losing the money. They worry about uh, things being stolen from them. They worry because they, they, they sacrificed all their time pursuing money and they don't have any peace in their heart. They don't have any peace in their relationships. They don't have any peace in their family because they sacrificed time with their own kids to chase the bag. I was stunned when a gentleman that I know who works for the YMCA, um, and for those who don't, don't know what that is, it's basically like a um, uh, kind of like a place for people to go after school and you know um, hang out there, play basketball, swim, be involved in some activities. And a lot of people use the YMCA um, as a place for their kids to go after school because they're still at work as parents, and that's. Um, Not a knock if you have to do that to make it financially, but um, the reason I'm telling you the story is because he stunned me when he said um, the highest population of people who are at the YMCA, the highest population of kids that visit YMCAs are in the wealthiest, most affluent areas of town. And I thought, that's a little backwards, I would think. I would think it would be the the underprivileged who would need an opportunity to get off the streets, would need something to do, you know, didn't have the same resources and things that um, a a family that's more well-off financially might have. But no, it was the affluent neighborhoods that were after school farming their kids out to a program to keep them busy because they just needed to go make the money. They constantly were working, and it was these higher um, uh, higher ranking positions like C-suites and CEOs and things of that nature, presidents of companies, owners of their own companies who kept farming their children out to these places. And even though they were making all sorts of income and they had more money than they would know what to do with this and they would spend it on their children in, in some respects that there was never any peace because there was never any real relationship. A lot we, we can see this kind of this undertone of what's implied from Proverbs that you can chase the money all you want. But if you don't have peace and there's chaos in your life, none of it's really gonna be be worth anything. Heard a professional boxer who went to prison for several years for assault um talk about the millions and millions and millions of dollars he had and went in an interview. Um, he said, oh, I would give it all away for those years in prison. He's like, why? He's like, because I finally came to terms with who I was and what I was going to believe, and I finally found peace. 
And there is no amount of money that could help me get that peace. It was more important. These three things are, are I see a, a thread in between the three of them. Words, money, and peace. And that thread is all of these three areas are controlled by your heart. Um, we know in Scripture it says that the, the from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words that are coming out of you and the words that you're saying, they flow not from here, from your head, but from right here in your heart. Um, we, we also read in the New Testament that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. See, where, where the things that I value is where my heart is drawn to those areas that I value. Peace. This peace comes from an internal settling, not from an external situation. All of these three areas flow from your heart. If you remember back to a couple of weeks ago in week three, we read Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. When you think about wisdom and knowledge and understanding, I don't know about you, but I see kind of like a picture of a mind. These Proverbs are you know, going to shape my mind and, the, and my perspectives and the way I view things, and that's true. They will shape some of your thoughts and the way that you see the world or certain perspectives, but they do that because the truth impacts your heart. We're meant to go back and constantly read them and constantly sort through them. And the, the next time you read, you know, Proverbs chapter 10 or 11, um, you know, you could read it this month and come back next month and read it and be like, man, how did I miss that before? Because there are different points that God's going to drive home in you that are going to stake in your heart and will eventually flow out of you. What this means is that Proverbs, as a wisdom book, as wisdom literature, the way it shapes your wisdom is it is speaking directly to your heart. All of the stuff that we just mentioned, all these passages, the words, the money, the peace, all of that, it flows from one place. And if your heart is in chaos, your heart is focused on fulfilling its own selfish desires, if your heart is rejecting lady wisdom and chasing immorality. If your heart is one that um, wants to make yourself God because you just want to do whatever pleases you and you're very hedonistic, then what you're actually doing is pushing God away. You're pushing him away and you're hardening your heart. You're withdrawing your heart from him. But if you're someone who is a follower of Christ and you need insight to your relationships... You need some wisdom when it comes to your personal relationships. Go back to God's word. If you need some insight on the pitfalls of pride, go back to God's word. You want to learn about the things that God loves? Go back to his word. 
you want to go back to the, you want to learn more about the things that God hates, go back to his word. You want to clear up some confusion in your life, go back to his word. You want to get some real direction for the next step that you're supposed to be taking. You want to get some wisdom. You want his perspective to be imparted to you through the power of his Holy Spirit. You want that revelation in your mind, go back to his word. You want to discover the true source of peace, go back to his word. We need to be people who were committed to God's word because when I hide his word in my heart, I do that so that I don't sin against him. His word, including all of this wisdom literature, is not just interesting and things that make us go, ooh, that's true, and clap, and mm, that's really good, brother. Nope. It's supposed to be hidden in us and to change our hearts. That's why he says, protect our heart, because the course of your life is determined by what happens right here, right in your heart. I'm hoping that this dive into the book of Proverbs has been helpful for you. My prayer is that the passages that we've read, the things that we've studied, the the verses that we've looked at, the context that we have, that we've viewed, that it's changed some things and shifted some things and maybe relieved some pressure from you. But there is one place, one place where you can find every answer to every need. And that place is in a relationship with Almighty God. And that happens through faith in Him. And my prayer is that you would come to that faith, that you would come to that understanding through His Word, through His wisdom, through His Spirit drawing you, through the truth of creation that you look around and see, the divine moments that have been orchestrated for you. My prayer is that you will see those things and that you will use the mind that God has given you, that you will look upon the wisdom, the wisest person to ever live, and that you will follow his lead into a life of honoring, respecting, and revering Almighty God, and that when you come to faith in Christ and you're reconciled to him, that it would change your heart in a way where what flows out of you will be things that honor him and bless others. God, I pray for everybody who's listened to this message in this series this um, during these last several weeks. I pray that you would give them your wisdom because you give freely to all who ask. Let us not be too proud to ask because you are the source that gives freely and we don't just come and ask you hoping. We come in full faith knowing that you will give us what we have asked for, because your word says when we come to you in full faith, you will give us the wisdom we seek. Give it to your children. Bless every pastor with it. Bless every um, a person who is seeking you with it, Lord God. And I pray that you would continue to make us wiser as we pursue you. Draw everyone who is not yours to you through this and through any other circumstances you see fit. And let, above all, your name be honored and glorified. We love you, God. In the name of Jesus, we ask.